Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Seeing Red, a UK true crime podcast. I love that I've got you doing that as well, that's hilarious. Um, So this is part two of a two-parter. If you haven't listened to episode 11, which was released last week, you definitely need to go back and listen to that. Yeah, so go listen to episode 11 or if you have already, welcome back. Um, As you will know, we last week heard from Mark about what happened to Claudia Lawrence and her disappearance and then some of the investigation following. And then this week he's going to talk about some of the theories about what maybe happened to her and some of the new evidence that's come to light. So take it away, Mark. So last week we left off in 2012, which was three years since Claudia went missing. And on October the 29th in 2013, so four and a half years later, detectives launched a major review into the disappearance of Claudia and they sent a forensic team back into her house. Forensic experts spent two weeks inside Claudia's home in the hope that the latest scientific technology and techniques could yield a vital clue that was not found by the original investigators in March 2009. The cold case review was carried out by North Yorkshire Police's newly formed Major Crime Unit, which was led by senior detectives who were not involved in the original investigation. And there had been some criticisms of that original investigation by the Lawrence family. Detective Superintendent Di Malin, who was now heading up this inquiry, said historically in other high-profile cases, progress has been made by using new forensic science and he hoped that he could repeat this on this occasion. He said most cold case review work considers forensic re-evaluation as techniques advance and this case is no different. He said I am also mindful that at some point in the future the house may become reoccupied and these opportunities would otherwise be lost. So as we said in last week's episode, Claudia's house lay empty. Her dad was continuing to pay the mortgage on it, but because it was potentially a crime scene, nobody could occupy that house. It couldn't be sold. It couldn't be rented out. It literally was like a time capsule. They're lucky that they were able to do that and to preserve the scene, to be honest, aren't they? And amazing that they were able to then, this far into the future afterwards, go in and use these new technologies. I think that's really really important in this case. So Detective Superintendent Di Malin went on and he said originally the house was tidy, there didn't appear to be any sign of disturbance, but that's not to say that you cannot do something in a house, then tidy it up to make it look as if everything was ordinary. These are the things that we'll be looking at. As I mentioned earlier, Claudia owned the house and it was still very much an active part of the investigation. It remained exactly as it had those years before, when she left for work that morning, never to be seen again. Her father was continuing to pay the mortgage, and he hoped that one day Claudia would return and move back into the house. Bless him, that's like heartbreaking, isn't it? That hope. Her father, Peter Lawrence, told BBC Breakfast of the Cold Case Review, without being too hopeful, it does give you some hope. There have been advances. They are able to look at this afresh and any opportunity at all to find out for the family and for her friends what happened is obviously to be welcomed. He said it's feeling sad if I can describe a house like that. It's not been lived in for four and a half years now. There must, as we know, still be somebody out there. If this new investigation sparks somebody's conscience, the family really need to know. In a statement, Peter Lawrence also said... I am grateful for the initiative by the new team investigating Claudia's case to revisit her house and conduct further investigations there, including the all-important DNA testing. 
Advances in forensic science and testing in the past four years make this a very worthwhile exercise and anything which helps the search to find Claudia or at least find out what happened to her on that morning in March 2009 is to be welcomed. 2009? 2009. I never know what to fucking say. (laughs) Sorry, I was mean of me. You're just getting your own back for the whole left-handed smoking thing in episode (laughs) 11. Dimalian added, as ever, we will afford anyone who contacts us our full attention if they think they have information which could assist, no matter how small or irrelevant they think the information might be. It is never too late for people to come forward with information now that for whatever reason they felt unable to share with us in the past. So linking back to last week's episode, we know that Claudia had a number of what the police termed clandestine relationships, lots of those relationships with married men. People move on from relationships, perhaps people got divorced and they didn't want to jeopardise their marriage four and a half years ago, but now that wouldn't be so much of an issue for them. Following this major review, the police pursued further leads, but nothing significant presented itself. After all, this was now approaching the fifth anniversary of Claudia's disappearance. In April 2014, 2014, (laughs) North Yorkshire Police said that 121 people had come forward to help their inquiry since the national appeal was made to coincide with the fifth anniversary of her disappearance. So this renewed investigation and the renewed publicity that resulted did encourage more people to come forward. But once again, as we've seen so often in this case, few of those leads turn into anything significant. The police did have a couple of what they thought were significant leads at this time, but again they came to nothing. So they managed to review some further CCTV footage of the main road that Claudia lived on, and it was from a bus that was passing. The bus did show that a car drove towards Claudia's house and again just out of view the police could see that it was breaking as it approached Claudia's house on the evening of her disappearance or perhaps the evening before she disappeared because we think it could potentially have been the Thursday morning that she disappeared. So they did appeal for information, they appealed for that driver to come forward, stills of that CCTV footage and the footage itself was released to the media but the person never came forward. Again, further CCTV footage showed a white van parked outside Claudia's house on the last night she was known to be alive. And this van was kind of parked on the pavement. It was a really busy road, so you couldn't park on the road. But it was parked on the pavement right in front of Claudia's house, which is weird. So it does make you think that that was somebody potentially visiting her. But so little information has been released around the specifics in terms of timings. So there were some major developments in 2015. Three men were arrested on the 22nd of April on suspicion of murdering Claudia. They were released on police bail in order to allow detectives time to follow up lines of inquiry. But this was the most significant development in the investigation. And this is now six years on from Claudia's disappearance and suspected murder. The men who were aged in their 50s and from the York area, in fact it was later revealed that they lived just minutes from Claudia's house, were held in custody whilst being interviewed by detectives from the major crime unit. These arrests followed the arrest of a local man also in his 50s the previous month on the 23rd of March in 2015. At the time of these new arrests he remained on police bail whilst inquiries continued. So the police now had four suspects and all suspects were related to the Nags Head pub 
and they were known to be patrons of that pub. And to be fair to the police, they, they knew this all along. They said the investigation, the heart of the investigation lies at the nag's head and we will get answers from there. But unfortunately, there appeared to be a wall of silence emanating from that pub. Detective Superintendent Di Malin said, I am once again very grateful to the media and to the public for supporting my request that these individuals should under no circumstances be identified, either in the traditional media or on social media platforms. That is because identification is an issue in this case and publishing the men's identities could cause serious harm to my investigation. This continues to be the case even though the men have been released on bail and I once more ask that the media and public continue to support me and make no attempt to identify the men, their home addresses, places of work or their vehicles. Following these arrests, searches were conducted over a number of days, but no further details were provided at this time for operational reasons. Di Malin said, as with the previous arrests last month, I strongly advise the media and members of the public against identifying the men who have been arrested. He could not emphasise this point strongly enough. He said this is to ensure the investigation and legal process are not compromised or potentially damaged in any way. This includes once again naming or publishing images of the men, their home addresses, places of work, their vehicles or where they lived. He said, I urge anyone to again show restraint and patience whilst we carry out these very important inquiries. Your cooperation and support is greatly appreciated by the investigating team. And as I'm sure you can imagine, there was fevered speculation in the local community about the identity of these men. On the 14th of April in 2015, detectives investigating Claudia's disappearance and suspected murder released a 47-year-old man on bail, so they were no longer pursuing him for prosecution. It transpired that he was arrested on the 23rd of July the previous year on suspicion of perverting the course of justice. At the time of his arrest, this information wasn't released to the media. Details of his arrest couldn't be released at the time for operational reasons. I do think it's really good that the public actually and the press went along with that and, you know, the police have asked for their cooperation and they have. I think that's really important that they did. There's clearly a reason why they don't want them named and it's nice that everybody did agree and go along with it. I think as much as it's nice, I, I reckon that must have been some kind of massive super injunction. Mm. They must have had injunctions out at this time. So the decision to release this guy from his bail conditions had been made following consultation with the CPS and following information the man had provided to police which had actually progressed the investigation and clarified certain issues. So it does appear that this man had provided information which then led to the arrest of these three or four other men. So in other words, he finally told the truth. The police knew that he wasn't being honest with them, but they were then satisfied that he was, and he was released with all charges being dropped. Finally telling the truth after six years of her family wanting answers. It just seems these people just didn't give a fuck about her family, about her friends. There was, as I say, this wall of silence, and it was the most important thing to just keep quiet, regardless of the hurt and suffering that Claudia's family and loved ones were undergoing. Yeah. 
Detective Superintendent Di Malin once again issued warnings to the press. He said people should also be reminded that any arrest we make must be based on evidence, be that from witness, forensic examinations and or on the basis of other information we gather. Because again, following this cold case review that started in 2013, there was a lot of pressure on the police and it had been shown that this investigation was lacking in any significant lines of inquiry. So the press the public and Claudia's family were on to the police saying arrest these guys, arrest these men at the nag's head, they have information, put them under pressure, we need answers. But I suppose it's not like a movie where you can just rough someone up a bit and get the answers. If you're a police officer you have rules that you have to follow. I'm not so sure the rules are followed all the time but on the whole yeah I agree. Di Malin said I'm convinced the breakthrough in the investigation will be from this relentless pursuit for the truth. But in March 2016, so nearly two years after the first arrest and one year after the further three men were arrested, the Crown Prosecution Service decided not to bring charges against any of the men who were arrested as a result of the review's work on suspicion of Claudia's murder. Di Malin said at the time, for legal reasons, I am limited about what I can say, but I respect the decision made by the Crown Prosecution Service. And I think you can almost hear the frustration in his voice. He really thinks we've got our men, but for a technicality or just a slight lack of evidence, the CPS is saying it's not worth pursuing this to prosecution. He said we have made several arrests in this inquiry and as a result we have had positive reactions from the public and very useful information. He said we do not arrest people without weighing up the proportionality and justification for the arrest. To eliminate people from an inquiry we sometimes have to search for evidence that either supports the alibis or not. Seven years on this is more difficult to do as we are just relying on memory. Therefore if it is justified proportionate and necessary we will arrest or apply for search warrants. The investigation team will continue to thoroughly assess any new leads and information. We remind those who we suspect are withholding key information about Claudia that we will not give up our quest to find the truth. As we move towards the seventh anniversary of Claudia's disappearance we hope the public will continue to help us and provide that vital information the family and we need to find out what happened to Claudia. Detective Superintendent Malin added we can't rule out that a complete stranger to Claudia was involved and managed to avoid CCTV cameras being disturbed by witnesses and is unknown to the investigation team her friends and family. But if that is the case they got very lucky. Well he does go on to say this. He said until then we will continue to investigate the information that regularly comes into the team and look at all possibilities. Basically though at this point he was saying we're back to square one. He said however I strongly favour the theory that the person or persons responsible for Claudia's disappearance and suspected murder was someone or several people who were close to her. He said it was either very well planned or as you just said there was a huge element of luck to have got away with it so far at least he said in my view they have probably been helped by the fact that those closely associated with Claudia have withheld key information the team has worked tirelessly to get breakthrough in this case and I thank every one of them for this I'm hopeful one day we will get this bit of luck or that a courageous person will step forward to give us the break we need 
He said, I know Claudia's family have appreciated our extensive efforts during the review and active investigation over the past two and a half years. So this is since the review, the cold case review. He said, I also know what a fraught and painful process this has been for them as they continue their desperate search for answers about Claudia's disappearance. He said, I have personally told them that North Yorkshire Police will never give up on Claudia. This case will remain open until the day Claudia has been found and those responsible for her suspected murder are brought to justice. Detective Superintendent Malin also thanked the media for their support and responsible reporting in relation to the four men arrested on suspicion of murder the previous year. He has repeatedly requested that the men are not named for legal reasons and these requests, as we said, have been honoured. Assistant Chief Constable Paul Kennedy, who has overseen the review of the investigation, said, Over the past two and a half years I have seen firsthand the sheer tenacity and professionalism of Detective Superintendent Malin and the Major Crime Unit to advance the Claudia Lawrence investigation. I am hugely grateful to the senior investigating officer and his team for their tenacity and sheer hard work to search for the truth. I also thank the group of national experts who have provided such valuable support and guidance to the investigation. This investigation will never be closed before we find the truth. If new information comes to light about Claudia Lawrence or anyone involved in her disappearance and suspected murder, we will act immediately. Having thoroughly examined the case, he said he was now sure that there were a number of people who know what happened to Claudia, but who have refused, for whatever reasons, to come forward. He said, I am sure that there are some people who know or who have very strong suspicions about what happened to Claudia. For whatever reason, they have either refused to come forward or they have been economic with the truth. He said, I am left with the inescapable conclusion that this case could still be solved if only people were honest with us. The fact they are not is agonising for Claudia's family and they should be ashamed of themselves. Referring to the man seen on CCTV by Claudia's house, he said, We had this footage examined by a number of experts in the UK and abroad, but it is only as good as a camera and it cannot be enhanced using current techniques. Despite exhaustive efforts, we have not been able to identify this man, and he never came forward, he has still not come forward, despite this being a massive part of the investigation, all over the media, an appeal on Crime Watch, he never came forward. So I really think that is the guy that is responsible for Claudia's murder, and I do think she was murdered. He said the lack of extended CCTV footage from the CCTV cameras on the days and weeks either side of Claudia's disappearance has been one of our biggest frustrations and is typical of the type of challenge that faces a cold case review team. We have reviewed material seized by the original team and wherever possible looked to see if additional material could be secured. He said we don't know if that man was in the area as a matter of daily routine or whether his appearance is of critical significance. He said, I believe he must be local to the area, and despite extensive appeals, he hasn't come forward. I can only speculate why he hasn't done so, and whether someone is protecting him. He said that since the review in 2013, so as I said, it's, it's now 2016, 20 detectives and police staff had worked full-time on the investigation, with the support of many others brought in at specific moments during the previous two and a half years, at a cost of nearly £800,000. 
At this point, there were more than 6,500 names on the National Police database, which showed the sheer scale of the original investigation and the review. Lots of facts and figures now because I wanted to give you some detail around the complexity of not only the original investigation but also this review. So bear with me but I think it's really important to show what a thorough job the police did actually do. Yeah I mean if anything ever happens to me I want them to do this much effort in trying to find me. This is incredible. They you know this many years later and they're still saying we will not stop until we find out who did this to her it's amazing so there were 2326 statements made by 1215 people 3488 officers reports had been logged and 1771 vehicles had been recorded and reviewed the review team had also conducted 25 recorded witness interviews they conducted 48 video recorded interviews under caution. They conducted search warrants at seven business premises and 31 private dwellings. They'd reviewed more than 500 searches around Claudia's home and route to work, mainly gardens but some other premises too. They had forensically examined 64 scenes, 39 from the original investigation and 25 during the review. They'd examined 337 items for fingerprint evidence 217 from the original investigation and 120 during the review. They'd obtained 273 fingerprints, 135 from the original investigation and 138 during the review. They'd examined 210 items for DNA evidence and they had completed 95% of 7,514 actions that had been raised during the review alone. The remaining 5% had been risk assessed and deemed low priority. Wow, I mean that is that is some crazy facts and figures. I can understand why you felt like it was really important to, to kind of list those because that is a lot of investigative investigative work. I think that's it. I really wanted to do the police justice because although the investigation was criticised in the early weeks and months, it was actually a thorough investigation and Claudia's family would go on to say recently that they praised the police for the work that they did. So numerous national experts had also helped to support the review including the National Interview Advisor, National Family Liaison Lead, Behavioural Intelligence Analyst, Forensic Psychologist, Forensic Podiatrist, I don't know what the fuck that is, um, I think it's someone who interprets the way people walk from CCTV footage. So that was obviously a, around the guy that was seen loitering near to Claudia's house. I suppose because like a podiatrist is someone who deals with like your feet. Is it something like that? Like it, how you walk is determining what's like if you've got something wrong with your foot? I totally didn't pick that up. And I think <laughs> I said like podiatrist, um, podiatrist. Okay, I've learned something there. Can't believe I actually knew something you didn't. They also had help from the National Search Advisor a forensic ecologist for potential scene excavation, including the use of ground-penetrating radar. <laughs> that shouldn't make us laugh that much. I just remember when I said penetrate in a previous episode and you were pissing yourself, and you said <laughs> I enjoyed saying that word too much. So um, They also used a digital forensics team and a data recovery consultant, specialist communications data advisor, a consultant engineer and expert witness specialising in radio navigation, regional forensic resources and specialist police marines, air support and dog units for searching and obtaining imagery. 
fuck, that's a long fucking list. That is a lot of people involved. On the 6th anniversary of Claudia's disappearance, detectives once again release the CCTV footage of the man acting strangely behind Claudia's house. As we know, it was recorded at around 7.15pm on the 18th of March 2009, about an hour before Claudia spoke to her mum and dad on the phone. But, as seems to be the case throughout this investigation, this didn't yield any new lines of inquiry. So, just when it was starting to look like this was going to remain unsolved, and as I said in the introduction to today's episode, there has been an interesting twist in this case. In September 2016, former Detective Superintendent Steve Fulcher came forward and said that he believed Claudia is one of four women who may have been killed by Christopher Halliwell, who had been sent down for two murders in the intervening years. Halliwell's father lived just a few streets away from Claudia's house. Steve Fulcher investigated this link in 2011 after arresting Halliwell for the murder of 22-year-old Sean O'Callaghan and 20-year-old Becky Godden. Christopher Halliwell was a taxi driver and a former burglar who lived with his partner Heather Widdowson and her three daughters in Swindon. He was a father of three himself with his ex-wife Lisa and was described by colleagues as a nice, genuine bloke. Fellow minicab driver Neil Barnett said after his arrest for the murders of Sean and Becky, I've got two daughters, I would have trusted them in his car. But this nice guy persona hid a darker side and Christopher Halliwell was regularly using prostitutes in the Swindon area. After his arrest, prostitutes who had been picked up by Halliwell in the weeks before Sean's death said he had got rough and weird with them, and some got so frightened they called for help. Police later said that he had a brutal childhood and clearly had issues with women. Detectives feared he may have killed more women after he boasted he wanted to be a serial killer like his idol Myra Hindley. Becky Godden was a prostitute who disappeared from Swindon in 2003, or as I like to say, 2003. After he was arrested for killing Sean, Halliwell offered detectives another one and led them to where he had buried her headless corpse eight years earlier. He told officers he was a sick fucker and asked, is it too late to get help? He then said, I know you aren't a psychologist, but what the fuck's wrong with me? Normal people don't go around killing. Halliwell confessed to strangling Becky Godden after being arrested for Sean's murder. Despite initially denying Becky's murder, Halliwell admitted taking a girl from Swindon between 2003 and 2005 when he had had sex with her and then strangled her. But even after confessing, he was able to dodge justice for Becky's killing on a technicality. Senior investigating officer Steve Fulcher was found not to have followed procedures on the treatment of suspects, meaning Halliwell's confession was inadmissible in court. Eventually new evidence was uncovered, allowing police to bring the killer cabbie back in for questioning over Becky's murder. Evidence from a former prostitute who said Halliwell was besotted with Becky and forensic evidence linking his shovel to the field where she was buried were enough to send Halliwell down at the second attempt. A judge slammed his cock and ball defence and he passed a whole life tariff. In a police interview he said he could not remember which year he killed Becky and this really does suggest that there were others. A former cellmate said Halliwell was obsessed with Moore's murderer Myra Hindley and was fixated on becoming a serial killer. 
ex-armed robber Ernest Springer 64 said he used to ask me about killing he said how many people do you need to kill before you become a serial killer Ernest Springer said he just had a thing about them he wanted people to be proud of him or an area to be afraid of him Steve Fulcher said Halliwell could also have been responsible for the murder of Linda Rizal in 2002 and we have had somebody contact us on Instagram regarding this case it's a really interesting case. So her estranged husband, Glyn, is serving a life sentence for her murder, but he has always maintained his innocence. Linda Rizal was a mother of four, and she vanished on the 19th of March in 2002, as she set off for work as a part-time learning assistant at Swindon College. Now, for any eagle-eyed or sharp-eared listeners, you may notice this was the same date, although a different year, that Claudia went missing and we do know that serial killers love anniversaries this was also a date on which Halliwell was dumped by a previous partner Halliwell has been linked with a string of suspected murders in the Swindon area over the years after hinting that he had other crimes to hide when being quizzed for the second time over Becky's death he told police I don't want to keep coming back every couple of years on different charges adding, if I can clear this up in the next few hours, will everything else be forgotten? Melanie Hall, 25, disappeared after leaving a nightclub in Bath in 1996. Her body was found on the M5 in 2009. Halliwell once reportedly told a colleague at his minicab firm, who knows what or who you will find buried out there. There could be loads of people over the years. Claudia's disappearance does definitely fit his pattern of behaviour, abducting women alone, walking either to work, at night or early in the morning. Despite this twist, police announced they would be scaling back their investigation into Claudia's disappearance in 2017. Peter Lawrence said the news to scale back the investigation had been hugely disappointing and depressing, but he said, I'm resigned to the fact that it was bound to happen. It had to get there. They'd finished their review. I'm resigned to it. He said he had no criticism of the way the police had handled the situation and he said I think the police review has been extremely thorough and carried out by a specialist team of very senior officers. But he added you can never say someone has done everything they can possibly do. He went on to say anxiety isn't a strong enough word but it's a trauma of being in this situation. That is the worst thing for all the family because we know someone knows what happened and they are prepared to let the family go through all of this. It's harder, I think, than if Claudia had been killed in an accident, because this is ongoing, it's day-to-day, year-to-year, and it's the not knowing. It actually churns you up. So once again, despite the Halliwell link, the case has gone quiet, and you do wonder, will it ever be solved? So what do you think? I think that's really interesting. I think it's very brave and honest of her dad to say that about the case, because he's got to, I guess he's got to be realistic. And if the police are even scaling back their investigation, there's a reason. But he still wants to have some sort of hope. Okay, so I just wanted to summarise some of the theories here. So obviously we have the Halliwell link. His father lived a few streets away from Claudia. He was known to work all over the country. And he absolutely could have been responsible for Claudia's disappearance and murder. He could have been the guy pictured on CCTV. For all we know, he drank in the nag's head briefly, occasionally, when he was working up there or when he was visiting his father. And perhaps he had met Claudia and they were having a relationship. If anybody's um, on our Facebook page, they'll have seen some of the links posted by Chris Clark 
retired policeman who's really into interested in looking into uh, Christopher Hallowell and some of the other cases that he could be linked to. Um, so that's a really interesting angle and I'm sure it's something that Chris has looked at as well. We also have to consider the fact that perhaps Claudia disappeared of her own accord. Is she sunning herself in Cyprus, working as a chef? I have to say I can absolutely discount that theory. I really don't think Claudia did that. She'd made plans with her family, she had an active social life, she loved her family and she didn't take a passport with her, she didn't take her money. Everything pointed to the fact that Claudia left work as normal on that Thursday morning and something happened to her on that three mile walk to work. And like, why would you not mention to your family, I'm going to go work in Cyprus? Like, It's not exactly a terrible thing to go do, your family would probably be pleased for you. So yeah, I'm kind of with you on that one, I think that that's unlikely. We do have people disappear, that does happen quite often, um, happens every day and we talked about it before. But usually it's people who have a difficult personal life where they have had a recent traumatic event or where they just need to run away from everything. And I don't think anything pointed to that for Claudia. Yeah, that was a bit like in the Andrew Scanlon case. Obviously, that's why the police didn't necessarily think there was anything wrong at first until it had been after Christmas, because he'd gone through a bereavement and he was in a vulnerable place. So, yeah, I can understand that. But no, she hadn't had anything like that in her life recently. So we have to look at maybe the fact that it was somebody else. The police had focused her attentions on the nag's head. Maybe the man seen loitering on CCTV near to Claudia's house wasn't Halliwell but a disgruntled lover or former lover. Maybe Claudia had spoken to him, asked for commitment perhaps, threatened to tell his wife, and he'd been forced to silence her. So what do you think? We would love to hear your theories. And as Bethan said, uh, have a look at our Facebook page. We've got lots of links to Christopher Halliwell. Um, Do you think he was responsible for this murder? Perhaps we'll cover him in a different episode. Um, So thank you, everybody, for listening today to our second part of that episode. So thank you for joining us. Um, Obviously, this is pre-recorded because Mark's sunning himself on holiday. So we haven't got any sort of up-to-date thank yous or shout-outs. But we did want to say happy 100 episodes to Adam of UK True Crime Podcast. So um, happy 100. Bye. Bye.